Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, welcome. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here too, and just glad you're here uh, this Labor Day weekend to, to enjoy it with us. Uh, we got a lot planned today. Uh, I'm so excited about these groups. The one thing that's bummed that they really are filling up. Uh, I'm excited. This, this uh, session, not only do we have uh, groups here in the San Fernando Valley, but closer to the church and in Simi, but also in Santa Clarita. I'm really excited. We got a new group starting in Burbank, and that group is now oversubscribed. It's full already. Uh, and so, so I was, I was telling Lynn last night, there was a couple that had contacted her that were looking for a group, trying to get some heads up on that, couldn't find the right group. And I was like, man, we've expanded so many groups and we still don't have enough. And so we will continue to work on that throughout this uh, fall as our church is growing because it really is the heart of our church. So if there's any way you can get involved, uh, especially this session is where we're going to be doing this whole study together as a church, that would be uh, awesome. I uh, also wanted to give you just a heads up, uh, just kind of a, it's just an awesome thing. In the last couple of weeks, we've been doing recruiting for our kids ministry and uh, uh, we had over a hundred people uh, sign up for that. And so, yeah, that was just really cool. This little uh, furniture remodel here. Um, and so uh, thanks for doing that. You know, one of our core values as a church is we'd be a church that's serving sacrificially, that every one of us would have a, a unique spot here at Rocky Peak, that if we move tomorrow, there'd be something not being done here to extend the movement that is being done today. And so uh, I just love that, that, that response. And if you weren't here last week or the last couple of weeks and you want to get involved in this kids' ministry as we just kind of move to a whole new level and that whole ministry, we'd love to have you. And so just write kids' ministry in the back of your Connect card. We'll, we'll call you this week with more information. But we're going to go into our time of teaching now. And we, we do this every week. So if you're brand new, uh, not only welcome, we want to orient you. So inside your program is a, a message note sheet. You can pull that out right now. That'll help you uh, get ready to go. And then if you guys are all set, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just so excited about what you're doing here at Rocky Peak. It, it's, uh, groups are expanding across the valleys uh, as our kids' ministry is, is growing and thriving. Uh, as most of all, we're learning as a church uh, what it means to, to passionately pursue you, that there would be no higher name, that there would be no greater love, there would be no other top passion, that, that our passion is for you, and, and that as we pursue you, we're being transformed to be like you, to be people that change the world around us. And so we pray today as we continue this, this series, you'd come and meet us. I pray for a great freedom, clarity. I pray for strength for my voice. I pray for us as a church that we'd gather around your word and have ears to hear what your spirit's saying to us today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we are uh, continuing this series. We're actually wrapping up this series. You can see on the screen the power of perspective changing the way you think. And for those who are new, this is actually part of a, a longer series that we've been in for, all the way back from the start of, uh, the, right after Easter, uh, that's been on a letter that, that Paul wrote, the apostle Paul wrote. He's, he's a man that was a key leader in the movement of Jesus that he wrote very, very early on, uh, uh, about in the, the mid-50s uh, A.D., and so it's, it's about 25 years, you know, after the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus. And, and so he goes, he starts this church in the southern tip of uh, Greece, modern-day Greece. It's a major metropolitan seaport city named uh, Corinth. And so then he, he starts the church. He's there about a year and a half. And then he, he takes off to go spread the message of Jesus in other places. But in the intervening years, he's, he's been writing these letters back. We have a couple of them 
uh, just to shepherd and mentor them in their new uh, relationship with Jesus. And so uh, we, we have a couple of those. They're part of our New Testament. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So this series, The Power of Perspective, is, is really just the tail end of a longer series we've been doing on this, this whole letter of 2 Corinthians. And so it covers chapter, this last series covers chapter 10 through 13. And today is our, our final, uh, final message, final section. And, and so in this section today, Paul is going to wrap up this challenge he's been giving them to get their lives together, to pursue Christ. Uh, uh, in the process, he, he is going to highlight one of the most important lessons we can ever learn in our Christian life of following Jesus, kind of the secret of following Christ, which I've called uh, Christ in you. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 5. And so as we jump in, let, let me set the stage. Uh, if you've been here, you know this the last few weeks, that Paul has been dealing with this issue uh, in Corinth, that there are these uh, new teachers that have come into their city, their church, and, and they've been bringing a different gospel, a different message, a different Jesus, and, and the church is in serious danger of just kind of leaving Christ altogether. And so the last couple of chapters, Paul has been uh, kind of calling out these leaders and comparing and contrasting his ministry to theirs as a way of kind of helping getting them back on track. But if you were here last week, at the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13, we, we find that not only is this church in, in serious danger of false teaching, but, but there's also a lot of other issues. Like there's all these broken relationships in their church. And, and we're talking big time factions, splits, bitterness, envy, shouting matches going on. And then on top of that, there's just open sexual immorality, blatant sexual immorality going on. Uh, there, there are uh, kind of wild parting, debauchery. And so this church of Jesus that had started so amazingly uh, with the Apostle Paul off to this incredible start, Holy Spirit comes in their life, changes them from the inside out, that somehow they've gotten derailed. They've stopped listening to Jesus, and they've really gotten derailed, and their lives are a mess. And so as he starts off today, uh, Paul is continuing this challenge. Hey, you need to kind of get your act together, get back on track because I'm coming to visit you and I, I don't want to have to deal with this uh, kind of in a harsh way when I get there. And so in verse five, <coughs> he says, um, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Like you need to test yourselves and say, are, are you really truly a follower of Jesus? You know, as followers of Jesus, we come under the lordship of Jesus. You're certainly not living that way. Are you truly a believer? He says, test yourselves. And don't you realize, and here's the key question that we're going to be coming back to today. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Don't you realize when you came to Christ, Christ came to live inside of you, unless, of course, you fail the test. You're not really a believer. And so this is going to be the key concept we come back to today, that when a man or a woman comes uh, unto, into relationship with God through Jesus, that Jesus himself comes to live inside of us. And so Paul is saying, how can you be living like you're living? Don't you remember who you belong to? Don't you remember who is inside of you? You're obviously not following him. And then he goes on. He says in verse 6, and I trust that you will discover that we, you know, as apostles, we have not failed the test. And so this has been the big issue all the way through this letter. Is Paul a true apostle? Is he bringing the true message of Jesus? Is he a true Christ follower? And so, so Paul says, look, you need to stop testing us. You need to test yourselves. Like, look, look at your own lives. He says, I hope you'll realize that we have passed the test, that we are really from Jesus. And then verse 7, he says, now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. And so this is his desire that they get back on track. 
Not that people will see that we have stood the test as, as apostles, but that you, will, that you will do what's right, even though we may seem to have failed. And so uh, there are some that were accusing Paul of all you really care about is your appearance and how you're seen. And Paul says, no, that's not it at all. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. If you've ever had kids, you've probably had this experience where you're row three of the supermarket, you know, Vons or whatever it is, and all of a sudden your kids start acting out and having a, some kind of tantrum. You know, they're about three. And all of a sudden, like your first thought, right, is who else is here, right? Like you're, you're looking around because you're not really concerned primarily about your kid at that time. You're more concerned about people that think that you're a lousy parent. And so Paul says, hey, listen, our concern is for you. It's not, we don't really care what people think about us. It's, it's like people could think that we're a failure as an apostle. That, that's fine. But I just care about you and that you are walking well with God. And so in verse 8, uh, he says, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And so, you know, all through the letter, uh, Paul's integrity has been in question. He's just asserting again, we're just living our lives before God in truth. And he said, we're, we're glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And so this is, again, another issue. Constant criticism. Paul, you, you're, you're always in trouble. You're always arrested. You're, you're always being beaten. You're homeless. You're poor. You're so weak. How can the power of Jesus be in you? And, and he's answered that the whole letter. But, but he comes back here and he says, listen, I, I don't really care if people see me as weak. I just want you strong. See, so over and over again, he's like, I, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care if they think that I'm weak. I'm not, I don't care what they I think I'm doing. All I care about is you, that you're walking well with God. So he just keeps coming back to that. And so in verse uh, uh, 9, the end of the verse 9, he says, and, and our prayer uh, is for your what? What's he say? Okay, let's, uh, the rest of us can kind of wake up now. Uh, end of verse 9. Okay, he says, and our prayer for you is for your what? Perfection. Good, perfection. And so interesting, it's a different work, word than the normal Greek word for perfection or maturity. Uh, this is a word that has to do with uh, completion. It has to do with restoration. Like, I don't know if you remember, but when the apostles, James and John, when Jesus first called them to follow him, they were sitting in a boat mending their nets. That's the same Greek word. It's the word kartizo. That it's, a, it's a word about, it's perfecting, but in the sense of repairing something and bringing it to a sense of completion. And so this church is totally broken. And Paul says, my, my prayer for you is your perfection, for your healing, for your restoration, for your completion. And verse 10, he says, and, and that's why I write these things. You know, he's been coming on really strong. He says, that's why I write these things while I'm absent, while I'm away, so that when I come, remember he's coming for his third visit, I may not have to be harsh in my use of the authority, you know, his apostolic authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. So he says, the reason I'm coming on so strong in this letter is, is I want you to get your act together so that when I come, I, I don't have to deal with this and kind of, uh, kind of tear you down, kind of discipline you, you know, uh, that, that I can build you up. That's what Jesus has really called me to do. And then he says uh, in verse 11, he begins to sign off now. <laughs> he says, finally, brothers, uh, goodbye. Uh, in the Greek, it actually says rejoice, which was kind of a, a greeting. Uh, finally, brothers, rejoice. And then he says, you need to aim for what? Perfection. Good. Aim for what? Perfection. perfection. And again, he's not talking about perfection in the sense like you've never done anything wrong or doing wrong. He's talking about aim for completion. Aim for maturity. Aim for restoration. 
Get back on track. Pursue God again, is what he's saying. And then he says, listen to my uh, appeal. You know, he's appealing to them in this letter. Uh, Be of one mind. And and remember, one of their big issues in the church, uh, one issue is sexual morality, debauchery. The other one is this broken relationships. So he says, be of one mind. Um, Live in peace. And then the God of peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. So he says, as a church, if you come back, you aim for perfection, you get back pursuing God again, and you love one another, guess what? The God of love and peace, he'll come back to your church, he'll come back to your life, and and he'll strengthen you. So he says, uh, next verse, verse 12, verse, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now this was one of the favorite verses of my high school uh, youth department. Uh, I think we miss that it says a holy kiss, like, like one, <laughs> you know, that knocks out a lot of bad things. And then, uh, and then it's a holy kiss, right? So, uh, so he said, in, in that day, you've seen this Middle Eastern type of greeting, that the, uh, kissing on the cheek, and he says, hey, I want you to get along, love one another, be of one mind, and, and so when you greet one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. There's not strife there, there's not broken relationship, there's, it's a real relationship. And he says, all the saints, and remember, uh, we have a lot of people, a lot of you here from Rocky Peak have come out of a Catholic or maybe a, some kind of Orthodox background, and, and in those settings, uh, saints are often like super Christians, right? That, uh, you know, that, that you're like, you, just, you do something amazing, and you live an amazing life, and you do miracles, and you're, maybe you're a saint, but, but in the Bible, a saint just means uh, someone who's a follower of Jesus, someone who has given their life to Jesus. Uh, and, and in the Greek, it literally, saint means a holy one, someone who's been made holy by the death of Christ. And so he says all, all the saints, the Christians, send their greetings. So from where Paul is writing. And then he ends up with this final prayer. We often kind of call this kind of a prayer a benediction. And he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we've learned throughout the letter about the grace of Jesus. Remember back in chapter 8. When Paul was talking about giving generously, he says, you know, he says, remember the grace of our Lord Jesus, that, that he was the one who was rich, that he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And he talked about the grace of Jesus. Remember in chapter 5, he, he, said, uh, he said that he who, who knew no sin, uh, that, that he, uh, he was made sin for us took our place so that we might become the righteous. So, so we've talked throughout this letter about the grace of Jesus. He says, so the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of, of, of God the Father, uh, the love of God. <laughs> um, so we've learned about in this, this whole series how God is the architect of our salvation, that we rebel against him, we commit high treason against our king, but instead of destroying us, he comes up with this incredible rescue plan to give his very best, his son, to rescue us. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the triune God. So when, when you enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And he connects us with God the Father, the Son, the Spirit. There's a spiritual connection. We're in Christ now. But there's also a spiritual connection with all other believers vertically. And so you're in Christ. I'm in Christ. There's a fellowship. In the Greek, the word is that famous Greek word, koinonia, which means sharing, fellowship or sharing. Right? So, so he says, may, may the, may the uh, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ May the love of this incredible God, may may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who ties us together, Father, Son, and Spirit, the the triune God, may he be with you. And so he signs off. And so this letter that starts with really 
uh, accusations and criticisms of the Apostle Paul, and, and he's walked us through this, this rebellion, this church has gone through, how they rebelled against Paul as Christ's apostle. They've come back to Christ now, they've come back to the Apostle Paul, and yet there's still all these issues in their life. They're not really listening to the Holy Spirit, and so in this final passage, he is challenging them to get back online, to come back online with Jesus. Now, uh, but in this passage, Paul raises this incredible uh, kind of seminal, profound uh, question that goes to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he asks this question, don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? And it's really one of the most profound statements in all the New Testament about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and the secret to living, uh, Christ, uh, living this new life well that Christ has called us to live. And so what I want to do is I want to focus on this, this whole topic of, of this secret uh, of Christ in us. And there in your note sheet, there's a section, and we're just going to look at two principles today as we wrap up this series. And this first principle is, again, it's one of the most profound teachings of all the New Testament. Uh, one of the downsides of being a longtime believer, like I, I want to ask you how, you know, if you've been a longtime believer, but like, like if you've grown up in the church or you've been a Christian a long time, that one of the downsides is sometimes we miss the obvious, okay, that, that, it's, that, that the teachings of Jesus, they can become cliches to us. And so the reason something becomes a cliche is because it's profoundly true. But often in any area of life, once something becomes a cliche, it becomes a cliche, and then we forget the profound truth that it's, it's, it's really revealing. And, and so what this first principle it was going to be talking about is one of the most profound and amazing claims of all the New Testament. And I don't want you to miss it. So it's going to sound simple, but it's incredibly profound, and we're going to spend some time unpacking it. And it goes like this, that if you are a Christ follower... So as you're sitting here today, you've given your life to Jesus, you've come into relationship with Jesus, uh, with God through Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, that Christ lives in you. Now, now this is a profound and, and, and amazing claim, because what, what, what this is saying is that, that if you've come to Christ, that the creator of the cosmos, Jesus Christ himself, has come to live inside of you, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead uh, lives in you, that, that you are no longer alone in planet Earth, that Jesus Christ has come to live and dwell and empower you to live the life you were created to live. He, he's there to speak, he's there to lead, he's there to guide, that this Christian life that we're called to live, it's not about like following Jesus as if, okay, here's Jesus, and we're going to attempt in our own strength to, to follow him and become like him. But the message of Christianity is, is revolutionary, that know that Jesus Christ has come to live his life in you to do something that you could never in a million years uh, do. So that if you're a Christian, that you are no longer a natural person, that you are a supernatural person right? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That something that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that, that there is a supernatural change at a core level of their being, that Christ invades your life, that he comes in. Now that is quite the claim, is it not? It's quite the claim, and yet it's consistent all through the New Testament. In fact, uh, sometimes 
that it's talked about in terms of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God comes in your life, right? Sometimes it's talked about in terms of Jesus, Jesus being in our life, or the Spirit of Jesus invading our life. Sometimes it's talked about in terms of the Father invading our life, this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the teaching of the New Testament is that when a man or woman comes to Christ, they are no longer a natural person, they are a supernatural person. Now, you may be sitting here and say, I don't feel real supernatural, right? So you, but, but the reality is, if you've come to Christ, Christ lives in you. Now, I want to spend some time unpacking this because it goes to the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to start with a passage that is there on your note sheet in John chapter 14. Jesus is one of the first to talk about this. And I put this passage in the New Century Version just because it's just very clear. But, But Jesus starts off and he's going to make this statement that he's going to say three times in this one passage. And here's how it goes. He says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my command. Let's say it again. If you love me, you will obey my command. So what does that mean if we don't obey his commands? We don't love him. Let's say it again. If we don't obey his commands, what does that say? We don't love him. Okay, so this is how Jesus defines what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a brother. He says, if you love me, uh, you will obey my commands. And then then that's going to trigger something. So let's set this up. This is the last night that Jesus is with his men uh, before he's arrested. This is the night of the Last Supper. Uh, earlier in the evening, he's told them that he is going away. He's going to be leaving them. They are heartbroken. He says, but don't worry because I'm sending a, what I like to call a replacement Jesus to take my place. I'm sending, he says, another counselor, another uh, uh, a helper. Uh, it's, it's, his name is the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Greek, the word for helper or advocate or counselor, uh, different translations will translate it differently. The word in Greek is the word uh, parakletos, and para means uh, alongside of, kletos means called, called. And so he says, I'm sending another who's going to be called alongside of you. And so, so that's why translators will try to wrestle with the best way. But it's, someone called, it's basically someone to take Jesus' place. Like, he's been their counselor. He's been their mentor. He's been their guy. So he says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another, another one to, to come and to, to do what I did for you. And so, so that's the context. And so he says, uh, if you love me, uh, you'll obey my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another, see, he was the first, another helper, uh, that's the word parakletos, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Now, the world, I know it's those people who don't love Jesus, the world uh, cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him. In other words, there's, there's a perception issue. He says, but you know him <laughs> because he lives with you, and he will be what? In you. And so, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and, and that's going to enter into a whole new era of the human race. And so the Holy Spirit who's been with them is going to now invade their life and come to be in them. And now he says something interesting. He says, I will not leave you alone like orphans. Now on the surface, you say, well, what do you mean? You are leaving. You're going to the cross, and then you're going to heaven. We're, we're, you are leaving. And he says, yeah, I am leaving physically, but spiritually I'm coming back. I'm coming back to you. And so he says, um, I will not leave you alone like orphans. I will come back to you. And then he goes, be- he goes on. He says, those who know my commands 
and obey them are the ones who love me, okay? So second time he said this, every time he sets up this teaching, he comes back and builds on this principle. He says, and then my father will love those who love me, and I will love them, and I will what? Show, say it again, I will what? I will show myself to them. Now catch this, very important spiritual principle. Uh, throughout my life as a believer, I, I've known believers that have come to Jesus. I, I truly believe that they're saved, but, but if you were to look at their life, uh, honestly, their, their Christian experience is very uh, mediocre. It's very low voltage. It's, it's, it's kind of pathetic in a, in a way. Like they, they've come to Christ, but they've never really experienced any life transformation. And so they, they go through life, and yes, they're Christians, they would check the box, but they're really not excited about Jesus, they're not passionate about Christ, their life's not being changed, they're not making a difference in the world, their whole experience is kind of pathetic. I, I think of what Jesus said in Revelation chapter three, you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's what I mean by pathetic, right? If, if Jesus spits you out of his mouth, that, that's not a good day. And so, um, and, and so, and I see, you know, here's the good news. I'll see a person like that, that for whatever reason, they've come to Christ, they've asked him, but they're not really living it out very much. And, and then and there's a series of events, often involving some kind of pain, you know. Um, and, and so God gets their attention, and for whatever reason, it finally clicks with them, and they really, they really seriously submit to Jesus' leadership, and they say, I really want a relationship, and they're ready to obey. Now, remember we said, if you love me, you will obey, right? If you love me, you'll obey, over and over, and, then, and guess what? Once they do that, when they, guess what? Their, their spiritual life takes off. It's like God reveals himself. Jesus reveals himself, and the word starts coming alive, and they start coming to church, and they're just hungry to grow, and they begin to serve, and their life begins to change. Their relationships begin to heal. People begin to say, what's going on with you? And you say, what happened? They just fulfilled the requirement, right? If you love me, you will obey me. And so many times, you know, with our relationship with Jesus, like we want to be close with Jesus. We just want to date around a little bit. You know, like, like yeah, we, we, we're interested in you, but there's these other gods that have really captured our affection. So Jesus, how about if we go out on Fridays, but I'm going out with X, Y, Z on these other days of my life, you see? And so what happens, we can't understand like why Jesus is not more real, why he's not transforming our life, and the reality is we've never met the requirements. We, we've not really entered into relationship, you know? I've used this illustration before, but it's like someone, it's like a man proposing to a woman, and she says, well, I'd love to be married with you, but is it okay if I continue to date around? Like, no, it's not. You know, and so that, that guy is gonna say, okay, I changed my mind, right? And, and so many times we wanna date around on Jesus. We, we don't want him to be our first love. We don't want him to be our top passion. We don't want it to be our, our top priority. We wanna have these other top priorities. We wanna date around. We can't understand why our Christian experience is so anemic, right? It's because we have other gods. We're pursuing other lovers. And so Jesus just says here, he says, my father will love them, I will love them, and then I'll show myself, I'll reveal myself. And so Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot, I love this. Like, can you imagine this? You're one of the 12 disciples and your name is Judas? <laughs> what a bummer name. Like, remember, I remember that Far Side, cat, uh, uh, far, far Side cartoon? It's like that big, uh, like, elk or buck has that, like, tattoo. Like, it's a, he's got, like, this birthmark, you know? And it's like a, it's like a target on his backside, 
right? And his friend says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. You know, it's just like, you don't want to go through life if you're a disciple of Jesus, like, yeah, I'm Judas. No, not that one, the other one. But anyway, so John, I mean, he's writing this 50 years later. He's still got to tell people. Uh, it's Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot. Um, he says, but, so Judas asks him the question, but Lord, why do you plan to show yourself to us and not to the world? Like, why do some people get to experience you, Jesus, and some don't? And he said, well, he goes, third time. If my people love me, if people love me, they will obey my teaching. And then that triggers this, this chain reaction. Then my father will love him. They'll come to, and, and we will come to them, and we will what? We will make our home with them, right? That we'll move into their life. And, and so this is the teaching of the New Testament. This is what, what uh, Paul is talking about in, first, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Don't you realize that Christ is in you? This is the teaching, that, that when a man or woman enters into a relationship with Jesus, something supernatural happens, that, that, that God moves into that person's life, that Jesus Christ comes to live inside. And it says it a lot of different ways, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but the truth is the same. The triune God moves into your life that he, he invades your life. And so this, this brings us to then one of the most important teachings of this whole series. And this is the one teaching I want you to take with you. Remember, it's, it's the teaching of the new covenant. So remember this. Back in chapter three of 2 Corinthians, uh, we talked about this new covenant teaching. And Paul, uh, Paul said, you know, when the nation of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, that God met them at Mount Sinai. And he offered to enter into formal relationship, to enter into a covenant, like a marriage, like marriage is a covenant. He said, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. There were certain terms of, the, of, the, of this relationship. Uh, the terms were the 10 commandments, which later Jesus said, though the 10 commandments are all about just loving God and loving people. And so God says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, but if we're gonna do this thing, I, I want you to love me first, and I want you to love one another. And so, over the next 850 years, Israel failed to meet those covenant terms. They ran after other gods, they didn't love one another. And so, it wasn't like there was something wrong with Israel uniquely, it's just that we're all like Israel. We're all part of this fallen human race. We all have this magnetic pull to the dark side, naturally. And so, about 850 years later, God raises up a couple prophets. One's named Jeremiah, one's named uh, Ezekiel. And God begins to predict that one day that God is going to do something new in the human race. It's going to be a new era of the human race. And that he's going to enter into a new covenant with his people. And this time, he is going to change us from the inside out. And so you remember uh, when Jesus came then uh, to initiate. Remember the, the Last Supper. Jesus is there that last night. And he, after the Passover meal, which was a, a meal that was a symbolic meal about his death for us, and the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. Remember that after dinner, he takes the bread and he, he passes it around for the very first time, and he says, this bread is my what? Body. And then he takes the, 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 the wine, and he passes it around. He says, this is the blood of the what? The new covenant. In other words, the new covenant that Jeremiah predicted in chapter 31, that one day this new era, Jesus said, it's go time. It's, I've come, I'm, it's, we're ready to initiate the new covenant. In other words, by his death and resurrection, we're moving into this new era of the human race. And so we use this diagram, you'll remember this, we use this diagram to talk about what happens when the new covenant 
Because uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel team up to say there's three or four things that are going to happen, three or four gifts. And so we talked about this, that when someone enters into the new covenant, we receive forgiveness of sins. All crimes against the king uh, are, are forgiven. I like to use the term a complete total amnesty. We've committed treason against our, our true king. We're all under the sentence of judgment uh, that, that that is somehow going to be wiped out. Uh, secondly, the new knowledge. Jeremiah says, well, the new knowledge of God. Uh, it's not just a cerebral, mental, theological knowledge. It's that, but it's more. It's personal. It's firsthand, experiential relationship with God. We're truly going to know God. And then finally, that there's going to be a new power released in our life. It's the power to change. That this is what we didn't have before. God could tell us, here's what you need to do. We didn't have the power to do it. In the new covenant, Jeremiah said God would write his law on our hearts, not on tablets of stone. We'd be changed from the inside out. And then the key to the whole thing was the gift of the Spirit. And Ezekiel talks about this, Ezekiel 36, that in this new era, God would pour out his Spirit, and his Spirit would come and move us and equip us and empower us to do things. And so this is what Paul is talking about. He says that we have entered into this new covenant. And in this new covenant is that when Jesus came by his life, his death, and resurrection, this got kicked off. And so Paul is saying to these Corinthians, what is wrong with you? Don't you realize that if you're a Christ follower, Christ Jesus lives in you. That is by definition who you are. In, in fact, uh, Paul, if you go through the New Testament, the New Testament comes on and it says this in so many ways. Like, like let me give you a reference. In Romans 8, 9, and this is not on your note sheet, late, late ad, so write it down, Romans 8, 9. Paul puts it in the negative. He says like this, he says, if you don't have the spirit of Jesus, then you're, not, you're none of his. He says, if, if the spirit of Jesus is not in you, you are none of his. Do you follow this? Like, like there's a lot of different ways to define what it means to be a Christian, but one of the very best ways is a Christian is someone who has received the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus has come in their life. Uh, look, at, look at the next passage there on your note sheet, Galatians 2.20, famous verse. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, when we come to Christ, that we, we enter through the Holy Spirit, we enter into this joined union. It's like we, we've gone online with Jesus. We've, we've gone online with him. And so his resources are, are our resources. And so we share in his death, which, which allows us to overcome our old nature, and we rise with him to new life. And so Paul says, <clears throat> that's what's represented by baptism, by the way. He says, so I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. My old life is gone. He says, but Christ what? What's he say? Christ lives in me. P Paul says, this is the power that, that I experienced in my life. I, I'm dead to my life. That Jesus lives in me. Messiah, remember Christ means Messiah. Messiah lives in me. The message of Christianity is not that I'm just trying to imitate Messiah. The message of Christianity is Messiah lives in me. That is his power. Now, now let me say this, that sometimes as believers, it takes us a while to learn how to tap in to this power, how to go online with Christ. 
Because so many times, when it comes to becoming the people we need to, do, to be, we take responsibility for that, and we try to change ourselves by our own power. And I don't know if you've tried that, but it doesn't usually last very long. Like, if the only way you're going to change it is by your willpower, then it's probably not going to work. Uh, that there's a power that's released in our life as we learn to live by faith or trust in the Son of God, as we, we learn to depend on him to live our, his life through us. And, and there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a process of learning that. But here's what I want you to catch, men and women, that if you're a Christ follower, you have Christ inside of you, and you have everything you need to succeed in following Jesus. In fact, in, in 2 Peter, the, the opening chapter, Paul, uh, Peter puts it this way. He says that we have received everything we need for life and godliness, being like God, through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what John says in 1 John. He says, greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have everything you need to succeed and follow Christ and please God. You have everything you need. Now, whether you've learned how to tap into that, I don't know, and that's sometimes a process, but I just want to tell you, you have this treasure inside of you. And so I want to encourage you because I think sometimes in our life, we get discouraged too easily. I can't change with this anger problem. I can't change with this pornography problem. I can't change with this bitterness issue. I don't have the love of Christ in me. I, I can't seem to grow my generosity. Can I tell you something? That that may be your experience, but, but the thing is, you have the power of Christ in you. You have everything you need. Now, tapping into it, that may be a journey to learn, but I just want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up, because Jesus said, seek and you will find. And often it's the process of seeking that prepares us. It's, it's, it's trying our hardest and failing that prepares us to trust, you see? This is, a, this is a journey, and I just want to tell you, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where your discouragement is today. I don't know what your area of growth is today, but I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to succeed, right? You have it because Christ lives in you. And this is what Paul says. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And so listen to what he says. The life I live in the body, I live by what? Faith. By faith, trust, by reliance, tapping into the, 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 the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and so see, th this is the thing, that often we have so truncated the gospel of Jesus that what we do is we focus on what does it mean to be a Christian? It means I've trusted Jesus to die for my sins, and that is true. But being a Christian is not just trusting Christ to die for your sins, it's trusting Christ to live his life in you. See, the whole point of Jesus coming to die for you is that he could live in you, you see? The, the, the point of the death was the resurrection. So the death opens the door for the coming of the Spirit because our sin issue has been dealt with so that Christ can come in and now he can empower us. Look at the next one, Colossians chapter one. And these are just a few of the many, many passages in the New Testament. But the new, uh, Paul's talking to a, a group of believers he's never met in the city of Colossae. Uh, he's talking about how in the past, that in the Old Testament, it wasn't clear to the Jewish nation that Messiah was not just for them 
that Messiah was going to come to, to bring the whole world into a new covenant with God. And so he says this was really kind of a secret. It was a mystery. And it's only in Christ that that mystery has been revealed. And he says, for God wanted them, talking about Christ followers, God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ. Remember, Christ is Greek for Messiah. So we often think it's his last name. You know, Jesus Christ, put it in the form, first name, last name. Remember, Christ is not his last name. It's, it's his title, Christos, Messiah, anointed one. And so what he says is, for God wanted them, Christ followers, to know that the riches and glory of Messiah are for you Gentiles too. And he says, this is the what? The secret. That's why I called today, wait a minute. This is the secret. What's the secret of this whole mystery of God? There was a Christ in you, right? The hope of glory. He goes on to say the hope of glory. The, the, how do you know that the next life is, is real? In fact, I cut this verse off. It goes on and it says the hope of glory. How, how do you know the next life is real? Because you've experienced the reality of Christ in this life. And he bears witness to you the reality of the next life. And so if you're a Christ follower, Christ lives in you. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, one of my favorite, favorite writers, authors, uh, you know, famous Oxford, Cambridge scholar, uh, atheist, comes to Jesus, uh, r- goes on to, to write and explain, defend the Christian faith and the message of Jesus, also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. But he writes on here, look what he says. This is from his book, Mere Christianity, where he's describing what it means to be a Christian. He says, let me make it quite clear that when Christians say the Christ life is in them, in other words, Christ lives in them, they do not simply mean something mental or moral. When they speak of being in Christ or of Christ being in them, this is not simply a way of saying that they're thinking about Christ or trying to copy him. They mean that Christ is actually operating through them that the whole mass of Christians are the physical organism through which Christ acts, that we are his fingers, his muscles, and the cells of his body. Isn't that awesome? That if you are in Christ, Christ is in you. In fact, your body becomes, Paul says, a temple of the Holy Spirit. That your, your physical body, that the temple is no longer in Jerusalem, that the temple is you. God has invaded your life. And because Christ is in you, all things are possible. Whatever he asks you to achieve, whoever he asks you to be, is possible because Christ lives in you. And that leads to number two. Then the second, the second principle that flows out, I want us to take with us from this principle. Is that if Christ lives in you, If that's true, if when you become a Christian, that Christ comes to dwell in you, if Christ lives in you, then we need to let him lead. If Christ lives in you, then let him lead. And this, of course, is what the Corinthians weren't doing. Earlier in this this series, we talked about what does it mean to be a Christian. And we learned in chapter 4 that it means that the Christian is one who says that Christ is Lord, that he's leader, he's, he's head of the universe. And so, so by definition, to be a Christian means to come into a place where you realize who Jesus is, the veil has been removed, you see who he is as the Lord and leader of the universe, that you bow your knee to your true king, that you ask him the gift of total amnesty for crimes committed against him based on his death in your place. 
and that you bow the knee, you lay down your sword, you cross sides in the spiritual war, and you follow your new king. By definition, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? The problem was is that these Christians in Corinth were not doing that. And to the point where Paul says, hey, you need to test yourself. Do you really understand what you signed up for? Did you really cross the line? Are you really in the faith? Is Christ really in you? Is, is that really true? Because I look at your church, I look at the mess, I look at the fights, I look at the, the anger, I look at the bitterness, I look at the factions, I look at the sexual morality, I look at the debauchery, and it doesn't really look like Christ is in you. I think Christ is in you, but, but you're not following right? You're, you're, not, you're not listening. And so what we learned earlier in this series is that when Christ comes in us, the Holy Spirit comes in us, that he has an agenda. And his agenda is to transform us, change us from the inside out, that we would be like him. For example, there in your note sheet, you remember this passage, we looked at it back in chapter three. Paul says, we who with unveiled faces, so remember he says, when, when you come to Christ, uh, it's like the veil is taken away, and for the first time, you realize who he is. We with unveiled faces, we all reflect, or remember in the Greek it said to behold or to see the Lord's glory. You see who he is. He says, we are being what? We're being transformed. We're being changed. And notice it's present and it's passive. It's ongoing. We're being transformed, but it's passive. It's something happening. We're not transforming ourselves, that we're being transformed. Okay? And, and we're being transformed into his what? Likeness. So the Holy Spirit's changing us to be like him, and it's with ever-increasing glory. It's an ongoing. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you should be like Jesus. And he says this process, it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we enter into covenant. Remember, this is chapter 3. It's covenant chapter. We enter into the new covenant. The Spirit comes into your life. He begins to release his power. He begins to transform you, to change you. Think of it like a remodel. Think of your life like a house, okay? When we come to Christ, our life is like a broken down, ramshackly house. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, guess who's in charge of this project, of this remodel? It's the Holy Spirit. We often think it's us. We think it's our job is to go to church and take good notes and listen carefully and pray and do all the right things and put this house in order. That's not it. The Holy Spirit is in charge of this remodel. Our job is to cooperate with him. You know, this last week we had our carpets clean. And so we always go through the same routine when this happens. Is that my wife tells me what to do. <laughs> so I get home on Wednesday night, I think it was about 9.30. And she says, okay, this is what you need to do. And I start following around the house and taking orders. These two beds in the garage need to go here, all right? This coffee table needs to go up here. This cabinet needs to go over here. This needs to go in the bathtub, right? And so, so she, is, she knows what needs to be done. I don't know what needs to be done. I just do what she tells me to do. <laughs> and the next day I come home and the house looks beautiful, right? You see, when you become a Christian, it's not your job to fix your life. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It was his idea to choose you in the first place. It was his job to decide that you needed a remodel. It was his job to draw you to Christ, open your eyes to who Jesus is, to show you that who he was, 
to, to bring you to faith, to bring you to repentance. It's his job now to transform you to be like Jesus. Okay, so what is our job? Our job is to listen and to follow. Remember that? We listen and we follow. That's what the Corinthians were not doing. Jesus Christ had come in them. The power to change your life had come in them. They were not listening and following. And that can happen in our lives, can it? That, that you know, we can be a, a, a Christian, we can be a Christ follower, but sometimes we get off track for whatever reason, and we're not listening and we're following. And so like the Corinthians, our life begins to fall apart. And we begin to have broken relationships, and we begin to get involved in sexual immorality or debauchery or pride or arrogance or whatever it is, just like they do. And so what's the solution? The solution is if Christ lives in you, let him lead. And so Paul says, this is what you need to do. So let's, let's look at chapter 13, verse 11. This is, his, this is what he tells them they need to do. 13, 11, finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for what? Let's say it. Yeah, I, I was kind of quick on the draw there. 13, 11. Aim for what? Perfection. Healing, restoration. In other words, you need to pursue God again. Right? You've been pursuing other things. You've not been listening to follow. You need to get back on track. Pursue God. He says, aim for perfection and listen to my appeal and then be of one mind, live in peace, right? In other words, restore your relationships. That's what's broken. And he says, and then what happens? The God of love and peace will be with you, right? Just what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments and then I'll reveal myself and I will come, the spirit will come, the father will come and we will move into your house, you see? You'll move in your house. And that transformation happens again. And so today, as we bring our series and this, this, uh, this message to an end, we're going to be moving into a time of communion now. And I want to remind you what we learned earlier, that, that Jesus said on the last night he was with his men, remember, he, he passed around the bread, and he said, this is my what? This is my body, broken for you. This, and he passed around the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, right? So what I want you to catch is that as Christ follows, every time that we celebrate communion, what we are doing, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. We're reminding ourselves of the blood of the covenant, the new covenant. We're reminding ourselves that number one, as followers of Jesus, that all our crimes have been forgiven. And I want you to think about this for a minute. I want, I want you to think about your life. What, what are the greatest sins you've ever committed? I want you to think about that. You know, every month I meet with newcomers at my house, and after we have some hors d'oeuvres, we move into the living room to start the meeting. I tell them, hey, we're just going to spend some time getting to know each other. We're going to go around the circle. A couple very simple, non-threatening questions. The first question is, we're all going to share the greatest sin we've ever committed. Then I tell them the second rule is that whatever's said at Pastor Mike stays at Pastor Mike. Of course, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm serious today. I'd like you to think about, yeah, they're, they're like, all that nervous laughter. No, just kidding, just kidding. And then they're really anxious to answer my simple questions, like, where did you grow up, and what did you do for a living? And, uh, but today, I, I want to ask you this in your life. What are your greatest sins you've ever committed? 
And when I ask you that question, what comes to your mind? Is there, is there a betrayal? Is there an unfaithfulness? Is it sexual morality? Is it, is it a drunken binge? Is it a, a broken relationship? Is it, is it hatred? Is it a lack of forgiveness? Is it a bitterness in your heart? Like, what is your greatest sins, you know, of your top 10 list? And what the new covenant was about, we're told in Colossians, is those, those, those uh, accusations that were held against us were nailed to the cross, we're told in Colossians. They were nailed above his head. That's why he died, so the, your accusations could be paid for. And, and so every time we celebrate covenant, we're celebrating the forgiveness of sins. And catch this, it wasn't just for past sins, it's for present and future. Because there's only one way that sins get paid for, it's through the cross of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sinless, are you? Like every week there's sin. And so, and so the cross of Jesus, the new covenant says all crimes covered under, the, that's part of the covenant. Part of the covenant, you've entered into it as a Christ father. Secondly, the invitation to new knowledge of God, firsthand relationship with God, it's a promise that he will be a father to you, that he will reveal himself to you if you want to know him. The promise of power, the power to change and transformation. We just read about that. And most of all, the gift of his spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to be in you what you cannot be for yourself. Every time we celebrate communion, we are celebrating covenant reality. We are reminding ourselves of, of the death of Jesus Christ, his body broken and his blood shed so that we can enter into covenant with him. Would you stand with me? Well, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. We're going to enter into a time of reflection as we prepare to wrap up this series and, and to participate in communion. I, I, I want to ask you, first of all, if you're a Christ follower today, I just want to speak for a moment into your life and do you realize what this means? That Jesus Christ the one who created all things, creator of the cosmos, the one who conquered death, that that, that, that that person, he lives in you, that Christ lives in you, that there is no, there is no sin that you can't overcome, there, there is no area of obedience, obedience where you can't grow, there's no relationship, you can't learn how to do well, that the same one who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and that you have everything you need. You may have to learn. You may have to seek. You may have to, to knock. You may have to ask. It may be a journey to learn how to tap in that power. But the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That Jesus dwells in you. And then if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but today, honestly, you're, you're not really, there's not a lot to show for that, that you're more like the Corinthians. You're, you're, you've not been obeying, obeying. It may be a small thing. It may be a big thing. Maybe short-term, long-term. But you can identify that you've not been letting him lead. And I want to invite you today as we wrap up this series, I want to invite you to come to the covenant renewal table. You would remember what you signed up for, that Jesus is your Lord. And you would bow the knee. You'd come under his leadership you'd receive forgiveness, and you would ask him to reveal himself to you and give you the power to change, and you would, you would have him just moving into your life in power again. And then if you're here today, and, and you are 
not yet a follower of Jesus, and, and yet this is just, God has been speaking to your heart while I've been talking, and you're just so hungry to enter into covenant with God. You want to be forgiven. You want to know God personally. You want to be transformed by his power, and you want to have Christ come and live in your life and teach you how to follow him. You're ready to leave your old life. You're ready to repent and turn from it and trust in Christ and his death for you to do what you could not do for yourself that I want to invite you today. There is no better way than to come to Jesus than to come by taking communion and by as you take the, his body, as you take his body, just asking Christ, Christ, I want you in my life. I want to enter into covenant. Come into my life and save me. And he will do that today. And finally, I'd say if you're here today and for whatever reason, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not ready to follow yet, that I would encourage you that as we go to communion tables that you just find a, a quiet place around the room, spend some time, reflect and pray, but you would not participate in communion because communion is a, is a covenant ratification renewal ceremony. And you don't want to kind of go through a show or, or kind of be hypocritical about that. You want to wait until you entered into covenant with Jesus and it will take on such power in your life. And so God, as we come to this, this communion table, as we come to the end of this series, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for your death and resurrection, your life that makes all this possible. And we come today, God, to surrender to you, to bow our knees, to proclaim you as our Lord, to receive forgiveness, to receive new knowledge of God, to receive power to change, and most of all, to listen to your voice as you live inside of us, the risen Christ, to empower us to live this whole new life. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said that he died for us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Amen? And so we want to lay it down every day. Uh, lay it down, die to ourselves, rise with him to the new life. He's called us not only for our sake and his sake, but the sake of the world around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope you can be with us uh, next week. Uh, uh, we're having a very exciting time. We're moving into our fall uh, series uh, Next week, uh, where, where it's actually kind of a, Joel will be teaching, and I will be kind of following up. We'll both be on stage next week. Uh, Joel will be giving a message. It's called Hungry, and he'll be asking the question, are we really hungry to grow as we move into this fall uh, quarter, fall session, especially as we prepare for our life groups? I'll be coming up then at the end of that message to introduce uh, this, this fall series that we're doing called The Assignment. Uh, unleashing the movement. And so inside of your program, you have one of these. It's not so much of an invite card. Uh, this is more of a, a message for believers probably than, than non-believers. Not that if they come, we'll turn them away. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, this is really more for us uh, to, to focus on what does it look like to, to uh, follow Christ and carry out his assignment in our life and unleash his movement. And, and we're very excited about this. So that'll start not next weekend, but the following weekend. But it's really going to be a historic. I believe this fall is going to be a historic uh, time in the life of our church. I've done a lot of, of, of study of the, the history of this church going back to 1977. And, and, and uh, I believe that this fall is going to be a historic, uh, life-defining moment in the life of many of our lives, in the life of this church and, and this movement that God's calling us to unleash. 
And so to help kick off that series and just signal that something very special is happening, on that very first weekend, we're going to have a party here. So after every service, uh, think of the nation of Israel gathering around food. Uh, so we're, we're going to be gathering. We're, we're going to bring in, we're going to cordon off the two lower parking lots down here. Uh, we're going to bring in picnic tables and umbrellas and chairs. And then we're having uh, five or six food trucks come in. And so we're just going to have uh, just a fun uh, party together. And so I will be telling you more about that next week. But I definitely want you to get that on your calendar. You won't want to miss it. Uh, and and you'll definitely don't, not want to make plans to go out for lunch afterwards. You'll want to be here with us. And so until then, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you revel in the truth that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.